Hmm. It's giving shade. It's giving dirty. It's giving what if. Hey listeners, before we jump in today, I would like to share a disclaimer. The views and opinions in this podcast episode are 100% strictly my own. They do not reflect any professional organization, business, or board with which I am associated. The content of this podcast is for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advice. Let's jump in. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of It's Giving What If. And so I'm super excited. The first episode was fun. I got to travel back to my childhood and my earlier years. Now we're like moving a little into my, gosh, my college years. Um, And today's guest played a really big part in those years. um, And we'll kind of get into that in a little bit. But I would like to welcome everyone. Please help me welcome Stacy. Hey, Stacy, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? So good. I'm so glad. Like we were just saying, like, this has been a thing for years. We, you know, I haven't been able to see you and just seeing you and remembering everything is pretty awesome. Yeah. It's as if years have not passed. It was funny logging in. I was like, oh, there he is. Yeah. 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 And I mean, like we've been through a pandemic. You were at the heart of it. Like, I mean, life has really gone by. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a three year time warp for me. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, that, that person had a baby while I was gone. And now that baby's going to preschool. Wait, what? Like, yeah. 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 Three year time warp. I don't know how it's like for you guys all in the States, but certainly me coming back. I I lost years of my life. Yeah. For those of you that are wondering where I met Stacy, so I met Stacy working in Burlingame um, at summer camps. Um, and it was like, it was one of these things I was like, let me apply for this. This seems fun, you know, not knowing what I was getting into, but um, it definitely was a different like world. And like, um, I got to be a, a camp, a camp director and it was just like really like a fun time. It was a really creative opportunity for me to just like, lean into my creative side and I got to meet a lot of really awesome people. Um, so share a little bit about your park and rec hit like background. And this was like pre parks and rec the show. So this is really like before that became a thing. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that too. That's such a disappointment to me. Um, <laughs> show. Um, and I'll explain why. So I was camp counselor too. Like you, um, I never really, I got to attend summer camp twice. Um, when I was in middle school and I fell in love with it and I was always sad I didn't get to do resident camp. And so when I graduated from high school, I got a job, um, on the peninsula working at summer camp and I just was in my element. It was so fun. I mean, we worked crazy hours, you know, you're like working from like seven to six every day. Um, you're juiced up on Kool-Aid and and camp snacks. Um, I came home filthy and tired of it. I mean, I think I would just like walk in the door filthy, eat dinner, <laughs> shower, pass out, and then yeah. just do it all over again. Yeah. So um, I did that. I worked for the YMCA for a few years and then, um, you know, was in college and I was majoring in English and was going to be a high school English teacher. And <laughs> then someone said to me, you know, you can be in recreation full time. You could get a job. And I was like, no. And so I did the research. I ended up getting a double, having a double major and majored in parks and recreation and then got a job right out of college. I got my internship with the city of Foster city and then 
had eight, almost eight amazing years there with my internship and then moved on to Burlingame and had about two and a half years there um, in recreation. And I just loved it. I loved the field. It's, I still have like kind of that aching feeling to kind of go back into it. Um, yeah. There's some reasons not to, because it can be really draining, but yes. I loved it. And I loved running summer camps. Like you guys taught me, I think a lot more than you even know. Working wow. Yeah, and it, it's just like one of those things. Like I, again, I did not know what I was getting into, and then just really kind of seeing how the thrived and loved and looked forward to like the experience of being free and just playing was it was a beautiful element. Honestly, yeah. I think you just hit it. It's it's it really connects these young adults back to their childhood and playing, yeah. and even kids maybe who didn't have that opportunity. Um, giving them the opportunity to play, but also mentor young people. You learn a lot about yourself um, as a young professional. Um, I always approached it really, I would say to rec leaders, like, you know, when they made a mistake about something, I'd say, well, in the real world, you probably would have gotten fired for that. Um, But here in this environment, I'm going to take the opportunity to teach you about maybe what not to do. So you don't get yourself fired um, when you're in the real world. And so I, I really enjoyed that part because it made me be a little bit more reflective, uh, more forgiving, more calm. Um, not always. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm a type A control freak. Like, I admit that. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, life that I've got to control it. I've got to be in charge. And when you're in a type of program like that and you have all these young adults working, you have to release a lot of that control and you have to trust these people. Mm -hmm. And, um, it taught me a lot about like, well, then you have to empower them. You have to hire the right people and you have to empower them and give them the school, the tools and the skills they need. And then just let them do their job. Like get out of the way if you can, as best as you can. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just, I, I, that, that part for me was a huge personal challenge, but I always just felt like I ended the summers so proud of the people that um, we hired and I missed you guys terribly. Like the month of September was always so depressing because I was like, they're all gone, you know? I have to share with you too, something that um, for both the communities when I came in, um, I thought was interesting of staffing is, there were there was a lack of diversity of the type of people they hired. So a lot of times it was just kids straight from the community, and I understand that. But because both of those communities were so small, kind of mm-hmm. insulated, um, it was a goal too to like bring in different diverse people, different diverse thoughts from different communities, um, because that is what makes like a real camp experience because it wasn't like they, that that city was only serving kids from that community right. kids from all over the place that were coming. And I always found it so fascinating when oh. kids might never like kids, I mean, you guys, young adults might never meet. You never would have crossed paths yeah. and become the best of friends um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that also was something, and then we'd share with my colleagues in other cities, like it was so important to hire, um, just diverse groups of kids from different experiences so that it was also kind of a, you know, a sample experience of what it would be like to be in a workplace because it's people yeah. 
different thoughts, different ideas, um, different cultures. And uh, it was just always so fun to watch how all the players would come together. And you're like, wow, I never thought those two would become the best of friends and look at them, you know, or there's actually in not, not, I wasn't the director at the time, but when I worked for one city, uh, there's two rec leaders that ended up getting married, having kids. Oh, wow. City, they ended up dating after I left, but two recreation leaders meeting at camp, getting married and having kids. Like, you know, that's always fun to know yeah. that that's where they started. Um, and I like to watch them be parents now. <laughs> yeah, I'm like trying to think if there's any in our group that like got together and ended up married or anything no i think most of them dated outside of it yeah yeah but it is a very interesting i mean you spend your summer with these people and so you really do bond and you have to learn to trust them um you know one of the things i remember is like there were a lot of the learning curves right so like you would you know you had people who had never had responsibility and you give them responsibility over a small group of kids and they learn a lot real quick and so i i just remember like you learn from your mistakes. And that's the number one thing I would tell people in that setting is like, you're going to make a mistake and you're going to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, people would ask me, don't you like freak out? You're sending these young people out with all these kids in a field trip. And I say, no, no, because <laughs> you know, we we've had these intense conversations, you know, I, we were one of the only programs in both cities that still required almost 40 hours of training before we yeah. even put you out with kids. And um, even then we tried to really stagger who we hired so that you it wasn't all brand new staff. There were definitely gonna be people there that had more experience in these situations. And, and I thought to myself, you know what? I was 18 out and about with a bunch of kids. I think it's sad sometimes that society doesn't trust our young adults the way that right. they should. And, um, and when we don't give you those opportunities to get out there and experience something new or face a challenge and really think through the situation, um, then we're just hurting you. You know, we're just yeah. hurting these young people that this is their opportunity to learn that skill before they go off and become professionals. And, yeah. you know, we joked one year, it wasn't in Burlingame game that I did this, but in the other city, um, the other coordinator I worked with, we joked about getting those bracelets, you know, the plastic bracelets at the time that were really popular with slogans. Instead yeah. of saying, like, what would Jesus do? We were going to put, like, what would Superstar and Smee say? You know? <laughs> because quite often the recreation leaders would come up to us and be like, I had this situation with the parent, or this is coming up, and I don't really know what to say. And we learned to respond, like, well, what would we say? And all right. of a sudden, and I think you probably did this with me, too, you would say all the right things in a way you would think through well you know i would do this and then i could probably say this blah, blah, blah. yeah you know the answer now go do it you know so yeah. oftentimes you you guys already knew how to respond to situations in, in yeah. a very professional way and so i trusted that you could do it you know we didn't yeah. have any significant issues and the funny part is we would sit in these big council meetings at the end of summer with all the cities from around the peninsula and we would hear some real nightmare stories like wait your rec leader set a classroom on fire like what wait a second you yeah wait you actually lost kids on a field trip like oh man you know and granted these were much bigger programs than ours and then they'd look at us and, and my coworker and i'd be like yeah, look, you know, 
maybe have that problem, you know, like maybe the biggest yeah. issue would be, I mean, it's not that we were, we, it was all fun and games. I mean, I've had staff just not show up, a staff yeah. got a vacation approved and then took a vacation anyway, and then posted yep. all over social media and told me that they were homesick. Yeah, no, I can see you on social media. Yeah. There you go. Um, you know, I had someone, he didn't even make it through orientation when he, this was in your time, brought alcohol. Yep. An overnighter. Yep. And I had specifically like laid in about how important this was. It was such a privilege to be able to take you guys mm -hmm. to an overnighter and have that bonding experience. And that person was terminated the next day. And it, but, on the flip side, I was so proud of the rest of the staff who were brave enough to turn in the peer. Yeah. You know? Instead of just kind of hiding it and pretending like it didn't happen, right. the staff came forward and said, this happened last night and we wanted you to know. And I, I couldn't have been more, I couldn't have been more proud because yeah. that was such a, that was a big thing for me to ask peers to, mm -hmm. do, to rat oh, out yeah. their peer. Their friend. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's hard because like, you know, you build this bond, but you also kind of understand that we had to keep each other in check and res be responsible for our own actions within our own little group. And so it was very, it was a really cool dynamic to just see people be accountable like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so angry and frustrated with that person, but then I, on the flip side, I thought, I, you know what, these young people just did something that was so significant. It shows yeah. their moral compass and mm -hmm. uh, they did something that's super difficult. I mean, I think quite a few people still stayed friends with that person because mm -hmm. that was your friend, but you also realized they violated the rules right away and jeopardized everyone's mm -hmm. ability to, you know, have this experience and it couldn't be more proud. You know, yeah. that's, a, that's a difficult situation to be in. And here I was asking 16 to 22 year olds to be accountable. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. So after your camp years, you moved away from the U.S. completely. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I so did. I spent some time. So um, when I left recreation, I went back to school. I became a nanny. That was so fun. Um, I became a nanny for these twin girls. And initially, I did not want to take care of twin girls, especially eight-year-old twin girls. I was like, no. Um, but they're still very important in my life today. They just graduated oh. from college just last year. We're very close. Um, yeah. Um, I was with them for six years. Uh, they had, by the time they got to me, they'd had seven nannies. So oh. I was their final nanny. I stayed around. They used to call me Man Nanny McStacy. <laughs> um, it was a lot like Nanny McPhee to them, they said. Um, <laughs> and then I worked at a farm which was a blast for two years. It was super fun. And then I became a director of a small preschool and it was like 20 years almost to the day that I had graduated from college. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> I'm back running a preschool. Like what? Working yeah. preschool? Cause I worked in preschool as an undergrad and I loved it. But like a lot of people who lived in the San Francisco Bay area, it's nearly impossible to make ends meet. If you're a teacher and you're single, um, my rent was going up almost 20% every year. Wow. Not my salary. Um, and so I was just facing this dilemma. And by 2013, I just knew, like, I'm going to have to leave. And I researched, like, if I want to stay a teacher, 
where can I go that I could afford to be a teacher? And really nowhere on the West Coast because yep. people would say, oh, well, you could move to this city. And we're like, sure, rent's cheaper, but so is the salary. You know, the salary is significantly lower. So it still yeah. doesn't change my situation. Right. Um, so in 2013, I decided, okay, I'm going to have to leave the Bay Area and it's going to be in the next two years. And so I spent the next two years researching what I wanted to do. And a high school friend of mine was teaching internationally, teaching high school science. And I was asking her if these like recruitment agencies were scams, you know, because they collect money from you. And she's like, nope, they're legit. I applied. I got offers at a few different places, but I decided to accept a position in Shanghai. Wow. Crazy. Um, That's so wild. Like out of everywhere you could have gone. Yeah. Still crazy to me. Um, but I have a love that's very, very deep for Shanghai. And, you know, I just had a lady asking me today, like kind of interrogating me a little bit, but you lived in a communist country. And I was like, yeah, but you oh, know, lady, get over it. I said, our, our country's kind of just as corrupt in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, she, yeah. you know, and I said, well, if you think about it, you know, like you want to be separated from your government, right? Like you want people to see you separate from the decisions your government makes. And I said, you right. know when you live in another country, you really have to think about the people versus the government. And right. um, do I agree with everything that's happening there? No. Yeah, no. Do I agree with what we're doing here in this country? No, no way. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. I think we could we're teetering on some really nasty stuff and it's not yeah. new. It's centuries old, the things that we're doing. So it was an interesting conversation with her and I just turned it back to listen you know, I lived in a city that's like New York City. I mean, it is fabulous. I never would have had the opportunity to live in one of those major cities in the U.S. You know, yeah. I couldn't afford to live in L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Philly. I couldn't anywhere right. that I would get that like work-life experience to live and work right. in New York City. And I had that in Shanghai. And then on another reason to go, and I said this to her for the first time in my adult life. So I was 40 when I left. I was not afraid of my personal safety. Love that. At all. You know, I could take the Metro at midnight and not worry about my safety. I could walk home by myself. I wasn't carrying my keys in a defensive manner. Right. One time I even left the keys, not once, probably multiple times, in my door. Oh, no. You know, but like, and it really wasn't a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, I, when I told her that, I think she understood from woman to woman, like, yeah, you know, for almost eight years of my life, I did not worry about my personal safety yeah. other than maybe I shouldn't eat that street food and that might make me sick, you know, right? <laughs> but, or I'm going to wear my mask because that person is picking their nose and holding on to the Metro line. And I'm going to like, Ugh. yeah, but no. You know, it was a wonderful experience and I would still be there um, living and enjoying life, except COVID happened. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And so what, like, what did that do to you? Like just living through all of that? Um, Year one, I call it COVID 1.0. We, we, we knew something had happened. So at international schools, you have like three to four weeks off over the winter break. And, um, so we got back from winter break and we had, I think like a two week window before it was going to be the Chinese new year celebration there. Mm -hmm. And when you work in that early childhood center, like 
we're monitoring kids' illnesses. So that's not unusual, like, because we know flu season, flu season's coming and right. we all want to stay healthy and keep the place clean. And so when I got back, I'm checking in on all the teachers. So at the time I'm a teacher, but I'm also the coordinator of the ECE. So it's just supporting them in curriculum and um, just in general, the whole division, supporting them and kind of being that middle person between teachers and admin. Mm-hmm. And I'm checking on kids' symptoms and illnesses in the rooms, and we're just kind of trying to be proactive. And my local staff start talking about, hey, something's going on around over winter break. It's this like strange pneumonia. There's like a pneumonia that kids are getting. And we're like, mm-hmm. what? Okay, you know, so we're documenting more. We're kind of at, we're asking our local staff a little bit more because their children at the local preschools like what's going on tell us a little bit more and so they're feeding us more and more information and over two weeks we find out the local schools are going to close they're going to close the preschools because of this pneumonia they're really worried about the preschoolers so as western staff we start talking about what would happen if we have to close an extra week over chinese new year we have to close longer that's so weird and so we discussed as a team what it would look like if we had to go online for school. Like, what could mm. we do to support families if we had to, like, close an extra couple of weeks because of this pneumonia? It was. Right. We had a plan. It was, like, the Wednesday before we're leaving for Chinese New Year, we had a plan. And then our head of school, great guy, comes down to talk to us. He's like, hey, so we might have to close the ECE longer. Because that was the only thing they were talking about. The government was talking about closing down the preschooler, preschools for an extended period of time. And keep in mind, like, local Chinese schools closed for about a month for Chinese New Year. So it wouldn't have been yeah. unusual right. for to close a little bit longer. Probably our Chinese families would have loved it, right? And so he's like, hey, you know, have you guys, we might have to give some thought about you guys going online. I'm like, well, we have a plan, actually. We've already talked about it. And he's like, what? They said, well, our local staff have been kind of feeding us information. So, like, we have a plan what we would do if we had to go online, but it'll be okay. Mm. January 24th, we closed for Chinese New Year. And by that Sunday, I was in a meeting with admin. We were closing. Something was going down. And so we had our Chinese New Year break that week. And then the following Monday, we were online. Everybody. Wow. It was closed. And school was closed indefinitely. Everything closed. Everything. So this is what I tell people. So I was nervous, but I wasn't scared yet. (laughs) We were just like, something weird is happening. But all of a sudden, like in your, you know, in your high rises, you have these big elevator shafts and the elevators always have some kind of commercial stuff playing on a video and then they have like posters. And all of a sudden the posters started changing to like some kind of illness propaganda. And I was like, what's going on, right? Yeah. And um, it was maybe the second week of being home. I I had dog. I had a dog at the time. So we're going out to, no, I had two. I had a puppy. (laughs) I had Dahe and Taylor at the time. Taylor was the puppy. We go out to take our morning walk, and the gates of the compound are chained closed. What? scared. Chain. Chain. And I go to the other end chained and I was like <gasps> like that was the first time I got scared wow and um at my school most of the teachers had left for Chinese New Year but because I had dogs I stayed behind so I there was like 
10 or 11 of us out of like 60 faculty from our school that were still in the city. And um, I messaged them and I was like, my compound's chained. And they're like, mine's too, mine is too. And then there were some other teachers that were still out for Chinese New Year. And they're like messaging, like, what's going on? What's going on? I'm like, I don't know, something changed. Like, we're chained in. So I did find that they had left one entrance open to my compound. And a compound is like a giant apartment complex. There was probably 50 or 60 towers. Wow. And then there's like neighborhoods. They all are gated and have some sort of security there. Not really, but um, so that's what we call neighborhoods compounds. And um, I managed to get out of my compound to kind of take a look around and walk the dog so I could get the lay of the land of what was happening in other teachers' compounds and message them. And uh, so the rules kept changing and they, eventually we had no deliveries to your house anymore. But the biggest Mm -hmm. issue for that was we had to have water delivered. Nobody was delivering water. You can't drink the water there out of the tap. It's contaminated. Mm -hmm. So it was like, well, I need water. We couldn't figure out how to get water. It ended up that I had to buy it from one of those like water machines, but it tasted so heavily of chlorine that I would basically like, let's say I'd get water on a Tuesday, spend all day boiling it to get the chlorine out, then refilling it, like putting it back into a clean container and then just like do that all over again. Five gallons. Yeah. Like it was not, you couldn't drink it. It It's horrible. And you needed it for cooking, not cleaning, but like cooking and just drinking water. We could still get groceries delivered, but it was like at the end of your compounds, so you had to kind of hike out to the end and get your stuff. And then all of a sudden things just kind of settled and we got routines and um, mm. the dogs and I walked every day. But in the very beginning, I, Albert, probably the first two weeks, I didn't see anybody except the compound guards. I mean, this is a compound of thousands and thousands of people living in high rises. So I wouldn't oh. see anyone during the day. But at night, this is the trippiest. Because I would message friends and say, I feel like I'm in the Hunger Games. Or, like, I'm in one of those, like, tween books, like the Maze Runner or something. Yeah, yeah. Something's going down, and I don't know the whole story behind it. But at night, because it's January, so it gets dark super early. All of a sudden, all the lights would go on and all the high-rises around me. And I was like, oh, my God, there's people here. And I remember I called friends. and like, you guys, there's people here in this compound. I don't see these people. I don't see their dogs. I don't see their kids, but they're here. I see them. Like, <laughs> and I thought I was by myself. It was literally, it was me walking around my neighborhood. There were no buses, no taxis out, nothing. You take the city of 28 million people and then it just goes to zoop, quiet. Damn. Quiet. Right? So, and it was, we had open reign of every compound though with the dogs. We could go anywhere we wanted to because the guards never saw anybody. So we were like the only, people really out except for some mm-hmm. random deliveries so we became friends with all these guards in different compounds and go play in all these places um we found this park that was ours it was ours to play in wow. for the longest time we didn't see anyone and then there was these runners like probably the third weekend to the closure all of a sudden this group of runners were like no one's dying of covid we need our exercise oh. and it was a group of local runners and we would check in each other we'd see each other every morning a few of them spoke English, so they would be like, you're good. You have everything you need. Okay, great. And so it would be me and my dogs in this giant park. Like, imagine, like, Golden Gate Park. It was kind of like wow. that. It was and you'd start at one in a Golden Gate Park, and it was yours. 
except for this group of runners, like six guys. That was it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, We ended up going back to school finally in May, end of May. Um, My kids came for one week and then it was summer break. We went back the next year and everything was normal. We had to wear masks every once in a while. Like there was a heightened cleaning protocols and stuff, but like 2021, 2020, 2021, we went back to school. You know, everything's fine. No outbreaks. 2022, 21, 22, we started the school year off pretty normal, like less restrictions. And then uh, in the spring, uh, January, February, there's a few little outbreaks at different schools and the government had kind of changed their policy about this. Like they would close a whole school, keep everybody there until everyone was tested. And we're talking about preschoolers through college kids or high school kids stuck on campus till 10 o'clock at night. Wow. Until they were tested and results came back. And so things started to change. And then the government shut us down in March. And this time we were locked in houses. We didn't have access to food. Like it was a whole different ballgame. Oh, wow. And I think that was like the, that was the turning point of like, this is not sustainable. We were testing every single day. You ran the risk of being taken off to a quarantine center and they were not, it would like be turning your, your, uh, your, um, uh, fairgrounds into giant boarding Mm. facilities. What? Yeah. They were putting people in like converted, uh, containers, that they were turning into like dormitories. Um, but yeah, there would be two, three, 4,000 people in a facility lights on 24 seven for up to two weeks until you tested negative. Yeah. So that was a big threat for all of us. And that just sent people stress over the edge. There was a huge exodus of expats from the community that summer, or that, that summer. It just, I cannot picture that. That just sounds so terrifying to like, even be around that, know that that's a possibility. Like, yeah, that would terrify me. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I had to send my dogs off to boarding because there were some brutal videos that went about. Like, if people mm. were found to test positive, and the they called them, I think, dabes, like people in the white hazmat suit showed up at your door to Ooh. take you to your quarantine clinic, wherever that was going to be. You know, there were promises that your pets would be taken care of, and that was not true. We saw yes. some horrific yeah. things. So I sent my dogs away and just buckled down. But, like, my neighborhood, my compound at that point, I was in a house. The people in the neighborhood were amazing, so resourceful. There were a few people, residents in the neighborhood, who had connections to the food industry somehow. And so all of a sudden, I mean, within... Well, it was about 10 days before we had food provided for us by the government. So people were losing their minds. Um, these people use their resources and connections to basically create this whole market system and then using each hat. So they would post out to the community like, hey, I have access to fruits and vegetables today. Buy your lot. So you'd buy your lot. And they would coordinate having the stuff delivered from the farms or like, you know, they made a connection with a restaurant and the restaurant things or hey we bought eggs today and something else like so all of a sudden we had we couldn't rely on the government they would randomly deliver random food um we were developed you know relying on the people within our compound that had these amazing connections that created these businesses like they weren't really they weren't making money off of it it was just a way to like connect us to the resources that we need everything from cleaning supplies to masks to 
one guy in the compound was out of cigarettes. It was hysterical. <laughs> like his plea for like, does anybody have anything? And we're like, hey, now that's the time to take up running. You know, like give it a brief. Um, that was the saving grace was this community of people who came together to help each other despite happening around us. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful thing. And like, even in those hard times, having that community and be able to like rely on like, Hey, we're going to still take care of ourselves and each other, regardless of what the situation in the country is, you know, again, kind of like, like that lady that asked you, like removing the like politics of the country and like looking at the people within the country like there's still people there who generally care about each other and want to help each other good like really good humans my neighbors in that community really showed their humanity and their care and concern for each other they took care of each other when other people weren't going to take care of them and especially there were only there were 2,000 people who lived in that neighborhood and there were 10 of us that spoke English wow so they even like combine their resources to make sure that we had a separate chat group and everything was being translated for us to make sure that Love we were that. in the loop like just i'm really looking out for us it was yeah. huge they were like hey we have foreigners in this neighborhood do they know what's going on like we oh, wow. try to through some of the apps and stuff but there were still other things we wanted to know and ask questions yeah. about and they made sure to do that for us that's powerful yeah. like I, yeah, I can't even imagine people in the U.S. don't seem that friendly. Like, I barely talk to my neighbor. So I'm like, look at that difference there. Yeah. Hey, you know, it, it's something that I miss actually a lot in the city. Mm-hmm. People say, didn't you feel like you were just nobody in a city that big? And I said, no. I said, because it's so condensed, you know, people are out socializing and doing all these things all day long and mm-hmm. i said i could because i for a while i lived in the city like the heart of the city it would be like i tell people like i lived in the san francisco side for a few years and then i lived mm-hmm. in the like east Bay side <laughs> um so you have to like trek yourself into the city but all of it was right. Right. and i would get into the city center and easily see people that i knew in the city like from neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood Mm. And I never really felt like I, well, the only time I ever felt like one in 28 million of the Metro, especially like on a Friday night, yeah, don't do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> like, then you really know how many people live in the city, but like, I don't know. Like I always, it, it felt like home. It was definitely home. You know, yeah. what a neat place to live. Wow. And so you, you left and you're back in the States. Like how was like, readjusting back to the states then well i moved back to my college town i'm not going to name it here but it's sort of a rednecky town it used to be a hippy dippy place um with a thriving downtown and a wonderful university community and uh COVID plus a major wildfire that destroyed a neighboring city. So now everybody will figure out what it is, has really changed the dynamics of the city and not for the good. Um, so a lot of those people came down from the mountains and settled in the valley and haven't left and they bring their agenda and their politics. And then, um, you know, the opioid crisis, has come to the West Coast. And I tell people like, it's something for the most part that the West Coast kind of avoided except for some small pockets and small towns. 
and it was just kind of a Midwest issue and the East Coast mm-hmm. issue. It's here, and we have gnarly stuff going on. So people like to call it a homeless problem up here, but it's not. It's a drug and mental health crisis that's not being addressed. And the solution for the community is just to get rid of them. It's kind of the attitude. And so it's it's hard. It's hard to see my home county making amazing strides through amazing collaboration of nonprofits down there. I mean, really, really having a positive effect on the issues. And then mm-hmm. to, and to know that the majority of the funding they've gotten to do this has come from the state. So we could get it too up here. They're just choosing not to. <laughs> right. So, wow. yeah, it's, um, it's definitely not the community I love for so long. And I just spent college years. Like I really loved this community for a good, almost two decades after I left. Um, but my friends who stayed up here will mark, they know like 2010 things started to change mm-hmm. and not for the good. And I can see a city that's divided and struggling. And so that hasn't really, I tell people like it's been a cultural shock in that way, but it hasn't really helped the healing because I came from a pretty traumatic environment into a traumatic mm-hmm. environment Yeah, in the city. That's just, it's, it's been safe because it's familiar, you know, right. physically familiar and so it's not like me adapting to something new um but it's definitely a city in crisis yeah yeah i'm ready to go (laughs) anytime yeah wow well i'm glad you're at least back in the u.s hopefully you can find another place that's not so i don't know redneck (laughs) don't recommend oklahoma (laughs) Well, it's unfortunate because I feel like, well, I think you find your people anywhere, right? I remember yeah. this conversation you and I had when you were getting ready to go to Oklahoma. Do you remember yes. this conversation? When you came into my office pretty, like, <laughs> nervous and worried about moving. And I was worried and nervous about you going to Oklahoma. Yeah. I was. I was like, why is he yeah. going there? And you convinced me of family. It's going to be fine. I was like, okay. Yeah, good luck. Um, and you came in one day and you said, I'm just feeling like pretty anxious and nervous about this move. And I was like, why? You know, I'm trying to be upbeat. Like, you convinced me this is a good idea. So I'm trying to be your cheerleader. And you're like, you wouldn't tell me. You wouldn't tell me. And I'm like, Albert, what is it? <laughs> to me, like, kind of your face down. He goes, I don't know if there's brown people there. There's not a lot of us here. That's the, right? that's, the, like, that's, the, that's the ruling statement now is there's not a lot. That was like a legit. And I was like, shit you're right all right and i remember sitting at my computer and we were like doing the research together and trying to figure out what the demographics were because like that's a legit concern am i gonna see someone like me like am i gonna find my people there Mm -hmm. and uh, you know i'd never been to oklahoma you're gonna make me go to oklahoma this this fall only i will only be because of you um and but i I was like, oh gosh, I don't want you to be afraid and I want you to be safe. I want all of my staff to be safe because you were like my kids. Yeah. You know, so I remember sitting at the computer just like, please let this be a positive experience for him. You know, and I do think you found your tribe. I do Mm -hmm. think you found your people and and that, otherwise you wouldn't have stayed. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I found the love of my life. So that's, you know, that's important. You did, but it was, I remember that was a really big moment. I think 
important for you to share it, like a big moment for you to feel comfortable enough to say mm-hmm. that fear. Yeah. And then I hope that I responded. I think we had some chuckles. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, Definitely. well, Native Americans are from that area. Yeah. There's got to be something. Let's get online, you know? Yeah. But, yeah you know, no. it, it hit a fear I had for you. It's kind mm-hmm. of like, say. Well, and like, and the, you're right. Like, I have found my tribe, my people. But, like, even though, like, just, like, politics in this state suck. Like, we're close to Texas. There's a lot of influence from Florida here. And so, like, it's a pretty, like, there's pockets of, like, diversity and, like, progressiveness. But it's, like, there's also, like, lots of not pockets that are, like, hey, we carry our guns and we hate everybody, you know? And, like, it literally is, like, we hate brown people and we hate queers and women, you know? And so it's, like, oh, okay, well, that's safe. That part coming home, not that I didn't see it when I was gone, Coming home and seeing a country that's hurting more than it did eight years ago has been hard. I try not to let it really get me. And there's, I love listening to podcasts and things on my morning walks. And I've had to take weeks off of it because all of a sudden it's like doom and gloom. Yeah. Um, And that can really wear on me. And I try to figure out like, okay, where are the helpers in the community? Where can I be a helper and advocate in the community? What can I do? And so when I, when I do encounter like the, the woman I encountered this morning, I wasn't sure she had an agenda and I was oh, yeah. unapologetic about my responses back to her, which I think kind of startled her a little bit, but then she kept saying, well, can I ask you another question? I'm like, I'm an open book. Go for it. You know? Um, and she was like, I want to talk to you more when I come to the park. Like, I find you fascinating. I was like, okay. Um, yeah. okay, I, Sharon, I'll be back every Friday. At yeah, I'm here every day. <laughs> You know, um, I'm going to test your small town mentality. Yeah. Um, I, I I think I'm not afraid to speak my mind. I'm not afraid to call out hypocrisy. I'm not afraid to be reflective of where, where I've contributed to it or where I've benefited from it or what I can do to be a voice. So even with the situation here, I do have frustrations with Mm-hmm. walking through a park and finding people sleeping anywhere and everywhere. And yeah. the frustration comes back to, we are allowing people to live like that. Like yeah. that is shameful as a community. Yeah. We are allowing yeah. our fellow humans, a brother, sister, cousin, mom, aunt, grandma to live in those conditions. And we all just think it's okay. Um, so I bring that up a lot. And then I like to say it's not a homeless homelessness is a is a, a symptom of deeper things. And until we address the root issue, until yep. we as a society make it a priority to address not just the drug addiction, because that is also a symptom of something deeper. And that's coming from the child development. Every behavior tells me something. And so these people are telling me they're hurting and we're just letting it go. There. So I call it the in public forums, like <laughs> um, I've had other people say, like our park staff will say, "Oh, I saw you post something the other day." And defending that, and I was like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." It allowed me to let my dogs off leash a little bit longer in the park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's just one of those things. Like they pretend that if they ignore it, it won't be addressed. It'll just kind of happen. But it's like really, if they could put time, energy, and money into resources getting people connected with those resources, then there really could be a change. It's just that the system's so broken 
we we we're failing people you know and it's just like what what can we do at this point yeah i mean last night i just said to my mom i said you know mom if all these organized religions got together and put their billions of dollars they could end this crisis they could Mm -hmm. end it because they have the money and they actually could have resources i said some of the most impactful organizations on this earth are like the intergen um it's not intergenerational inter interfaith Groups and they get together. Mm-hmm. Like, interfaiths get together and they they put aside all of their like one up at each other and their religions, but they focus on the humanity because that's at the heart of any religion right. should be. Um, when interfaith right. groups come together, they can make a pretty significant impact of things. Oh yeah. I just find it so shameful that you know, like the Mormon church is sitting on billions, the Catholic Church is sitting on billions, like we know the money is there right? and they're just hoarding it. And if they just got together and funded, because one of the issues is funding, like we don't have enough therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists, and we don't have enough drug, like true drug rehabilitation and care centers. We don't have any of that. And it costs money. Well, guess what? We have these organizations that have billions, the evangelical churches, billions. And if they got together and said, this is killing our community and let's let's go ahead and fund and put the experts out there let the experts do it yep and, oh, and yeah. fund them fund the programs mm-hmm. you know fund the nursing programs fund the mental health uh, education programs and graduate schools and all that you need to do so that we can address this issue and yep. won't. i said mom i just find that so devastating you know right. I, uh. I find it devastating because that's what we need. You know, these are humans. There is a guy that's out on the streets and for summer, I've kind of mostly left him alone. He's figuring it out, but come winter time, I'm already processing. I mean, I don't know how many sleeping bags I bought him last year and mm-hmm. how many pairs of warm socks. I always had changes of warm clothes in my car and I would see him and I would redress him. I mean, there was one day I passed him. He'd gotten his sleeping bag stolen and he had no hat. It was freezing. I took my uh-huh. hat off my head. I put it on his head and I said, don't you move, <laughs> you know, and I was back with, with oh. supplies for him. And, you know, for people who say to me, why would you do that? And he said, cause he has a mental health that's never really been addressed. I could almost right. guarantee you that guy was abused horribly as a child and as a young adult. Yeah. And you know what he needs is a safe, loving place to live. And the way our community is set up is there's so many rules and regulations about it. There is no place for him that's safe. Right. There's no place to support him as a human being. So he's safe. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. So yeah. so true. So while he's out there, I'm gonna make sure he's warm. I love that. Love, love, love that. Some so, kids. yeah, yeah, no. So. I'm going to ask you a question. Um, what's been hella annoying for you here lately? Like, what is something that just gets under your skin? Besides my mom? <laughs> I mean, that could be it. <laughs> um, it's super annoying lately. I got, I mean, I, I don't want to go take us down this rabbit hole, but I think it's the hypocrisy of every, like hypocrisy of our government right now. Um, And uh, 
knowing how that impacts me as a female, as a woman, and like mm-hmm. also knowing that in like 2016, a bunch of us screamed, oh my God, please don't do this. And then we did it anyway. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. And here's the results all these years later um, mm-hmm. of how that's negatively impacting my life. I think that's, I think that's the thing like that just kind of needles me. Also that like, people are just not nice. I'm you, you kind of touched on it. It's like, you don't kind of even know your neighbors where you live. People are just not nice. When I yeah. I'm going out in the morning, every morning, I take my dogs for a walk and I had, I get anxious because I never know what asshole I'm going to meet. Yeah. And there have been straight up assholes yeah. that we've encountered and I have no coping mechanism on how to deal with you other than to want to punch you in the face, like <laughs> shut you up. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, it's a it's a weird dynamic of like when I'm out and about in my community, I'm actually expecting more for people to be jerks than nice. Yeah, bizarre to me. Ever, yeah. that makes no sense to me. It's not how I grew up. You say hi to people. You say yeah. hey, good morning. How are you? Even if you're superficial, who cares? Like no one's gonna respond to you, or you say the same. Oh, I'm good. How are you? And they don't really care. Yeah. Like it's just niceties. It's just saying that no yeah. people don't acknowledge each other. Like I live in the Stepford Live neighborhood. Nobody goes out and hangs out in my front yard. Me. I throw the dogs out there and they like lay in the front yard and like socialize. But like people have all these like beautifully manicured yards and there's like no community. No one's out there. No one talks to each other anymore. Like the biggest event we have was Halloween. It was a blast handing out candy last year. But I was like, what happened to like, this is, this is a small town. There's just no sense of community anymore. And people right. are very selfish into themselves. And I don't understand it. Yeah, I get it. But um, you said Halloween. And so what's been hella annoying to me is people that are like, it's only it's only July, it's only August. Why are we thinking about Halloween and like really just complaining about it? Because like let me tell you, life has been rough and let us have a little something. Like why not? I mean, what other holiday is there really from like Fourth of July to, which fourth of July? Come on. Like the country's in a state where people well, don't there's know also my birthday is a holiday. So oh, just like yes, you know. yes, your birthday. And then Halloween. So, yeah. like, I'm like, let us have that. Like, I I mean, it doesn't hurt nobody. Like, I mean, I I just feel like they're jealous because they want, like, some other stupid holiday. And it's like, no, right now is literally Halloween season. Like, you know what? let us have it's it. A, it's a fun, it's a fun kid holiday. I will say, I handed out, I think my mom and I put together, like, 400 bags. And I handed yeah. them out, I'm not joking, in 45 minutes. We have done. Wow. Kids were amazing. I have little preschoolers all the way to high school kids. That was my, that was the first time back. So I got home last June and not, you know, Halloween that I felt like, okay, there's hope for humanity. Like these yeah. kids were amazing. They were so great. They were so grateful. And like, I even had a whole basket of like allergy friendly stuff with a sign. And I had so many parents oh, yeah. being like, thank you. Like, Oh my gosh, thank you for doing that. And I didn't have a lot of kids take them. Like, Right. Maybe kids with allergies, parents have a different system up. But I thought, well, I at least yeah. want to be that inclusive and acknowledge, yeah. like, here's what I have. Here's the ingredients list. I even left the stuff out so parents can make their own decision in case I missed something. I love right? that. And um, 
I loved it. And I'm actually really looking forward to it again this year. And I want to do a little bit more decorations. We didn't do a lot of decorations, but I want to do that. Um, and just really get into it this year because I feel like we just need something that's fun and enjoyable and exciting yep. and is community building. But like, yeah. you know, the other night we had like, um, it's like community night out. It's a national night out or something like that. And my neighborhood did nothing. And I was like, of all events that we should be doing in communities around the U S is, is, is doing these national nights out and having relationships with our right. police officers and doing community things to help people reconnect, you know, yep. depression, people suffering from depression and all these other issues often comes because there's a lack of connection, right? It's a lack of connection to each other and to their community. There's, there's no, they don't feel like they belong. And we know this and yet it's gotten worse. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, totally. I know. And it's like, I don't know, like I was at um, home goods or something and like this lady like looked at me cause I, you know, I've been going to the stores for the last two or three weeks looking for all the early Halloween stuff. And this lady looks at me and she's like, they already have Halloween stuff out with like a very nasty attitude. I'm like, yes, ma'am, they do. Do you have a problem with that? And she just kind of like, I kept running into her in every aisle. She just kept looking at me and she looked so like disturbed. But then I found out at the end of it, when I was checking out, she was checking out behind me and she like had this huge like skeleton going down a slide. I'm like, see, if you didn't have to be so bitter. Like you could have just really just admitted that you really were having a good time with the Halloween stuff in July. Like it's not a big deal. We need something. We need something positive to look forward to, honestly. And you know, I I never thought I would really be excited about Halloween, but I'm already in my head like, oh, I just want something fun. Something yeah. that's cheerful and fun because we've had too much like yeah lately. Yeah. I don't want to be in that environment. But I mean, I guess the saving grace is like talk to people other people i've met in the community they're all having that same little vibe of like ew what happened to our community like i'm feeling this disconnect or like just kind of feeling yucky lately i'm like what's wrong with us is this society people i'll share this maybe and okay we've like pumped COVID through the system maybe it's time to like send magic mushrooms to the system like everybody needs a magic mushroom session like reset the brain and like mm-hmm. everything's happy again. Like maybe yeah. we all just need a national magic mushroom day. Yeah. <laughs> no more depression. Yeah. I mean, it, there's, there's science behind that. They're using it for people with PTSD. Like this is not a yep. joke people. Yeah. Y'all need yeah. to have it. Yep. You know? I agree. Like, we're going to have a pasta spaghetti night and there's going to be mushrooms. <laughs> in there and I love a mushroom spaghetti. So God. good. Like, I just feel like oh, y'all need, y'all need something that's, it's not the little blue pill or whatever you're taking. It's something else. Like, here, try this. It's yeah. like crap. But it that's feels- that's like big pharma. Like, screw big pharma. Let's take natural, <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I shared that the other day. I'm like, I really do. I said to my mom, she's 76. I'm like, society needs to eat some magic mushrooms. And honestly, yeah. stick it to pill. We all need a little bit more of that. So, so this podcast is called What If? Because I love, like, what if scenarios. So I'm going to ask you a few what if scenarios and see what what you would do in these scenarios. So 
What if you were back in China and word of another lockdown happening was breaking news this that morning? What would you do? Man, um, I, I would stick it out. I, I, I mean, it's it's three for me at this point. Now I'm a rock star. I know what to do. I mean, to be fair, when we had the second lockdown, I was super prepared. I had a full on pantry. I had pre-ordered all these meals and had them pre-frozen, like my treats. I wow. bought two giant pizzas. The pizzas there, pizzas you pay $30 for here are junk compared to the giant pizzas you get there. New York style pizzas, mm. I had two of them, I pre-frozen, I was ready. So what, like, even though we didn't like get food, I had my creature comforts in my house. Okay. Um, I would just prepare, I think, and then I would game on. I know what to do. Like I, I went through, an easy one and then a shitty one. I think I can figure this out. I would just go head on to it. Head on. Love it. You have a choice. I think that's the other thing is like, what am I going to do? Try to leave? I can't. You know, so I'm going to, I'm going to take my experience that I've had for the last two and I'm going to see what game this one is and try to work around it. I think if anything, going through those experiences, I've learned to be really resilient. I've also learned to say like, I don't have the capacity for that right now. Mm -hmm. set up some different boundaries but like i know i'm super resilient i know that and i i figured a lot of stuff out in a country where i didn't know the language or the culture so bring it love it all right what if you were running a summer camp and a deranged killer begins slaughtering your campers while you are all finally asleep at night you know this is part of like the nightmare dream we have right my hannah story yes are we at, up at a Memorial Park again? Where are we? Um, let's say it's a on for the first time. Okay. Well, I'm going to the campfire that hopefully you guys didn't piss on and, and, and completely wipe out for me. And I'm going to get a big old like branch on fire and I'm just going to start like setting things Ooh. on fire. I'm going to set the person on fire. Like, you know, I'm going to defend my kids to the nail and my kid and my staff. Like I'm going to go down. I'm not going to run away. But like I immediately I'm thinking I'm like going to get the barbecue supplies because we always bring the big sharp knives to cut the watermelon. Mm -hmm. So I've got like a mm -hmm. knife in one hand and then like a piss soap torch in the other. And I'm going to like, like fight it out. Hopefully you guys are still alive. Are you guys alive? Um, yes. In this scenario. <laughs> okay. Rallying the troops, man. Like we're going to like all the kids. Maybe we're shoving them in the gross bathroom. that's full of cobwebs and spiders. And I'm and still terrified of that. Like I went camping um, for this like LARPing event, which total nerd, but not my thing anymore. Um, went one time and I kid you not, the bathrooms were the scariest thing. There were all these spiders and weird creatures in the corners. Nope. Mm -mm. It's always a little bit creepy. And it, were you on the trip where there were bats in there? Was that with you guys? Yes. Yes. There were bats in the mm. bats in the bathroom. No, I, I mean, I'm going to rally all you guys and we're going to take out the killer. That's what we're going to do because it's part of the story anyway. Yeah, we'll do it. Our scary movie one day. We will do it. I love that. Come off the highway. <laughs> Help. Yeah. Oh, I love that. All right. So moving on to our next game. This is going to put you in a little bit of a hot seat. So I hope you are prepared to get uncomfortable. Um, so this is called song association. So you, I'm going to give you a word. You're going to associate it with the song. So, like, let's say I, 
I say candy. Then you have 15 seconds to sing a song with the word candy in it. Um, so there's only six words, and I'll give you each one, give you 15 seconds each one. Let's see what you say. Are you ready? Okay, I'm going to try. So let me see. 15 seconds on the time, on the watch. The first word is fight. So 15 seconds, go. Fight. Oh. <laughs> uh. Oh, I, I don't think it says fight, but I can only think of Carrie, Katy Perry's roar. Um, is there a fight in that? Time. <laughs> All right. Good try. I was thinking of, um, what's that song, Fight for the Right to Party? Oh, the Beastie Boys. Yes. All right. Next song. I'm losing. The word. This is hard. When you're in the spot, you keep, like your brain's just like, what, what, what? Yeah. <laughs> All right. The next one is down. 15 seconds, go. <laughs> oh, Albert, I suck at this. What on earth? Down. Uh. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of a sublime. There's got to be, like, I got to get my phone out and be like, down, down, where's the lyrics? I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to get my phone out and cheat. Okay. All right. And you have to sing it, though. You can't just say the name, so you have to sing the line. Cheating. Give me one. Song. So the third one is party. Party? Yeah, go. Oh, this one's... Uh, party in the USA! Party in the USA. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Miley Cyrus. All right. Let's see. Um, Fourth one is hate. 15 seconds. Go. I'm cheating. Um, What's the song about hate? Creep, Radiohead. I don't know that song. Uh, Jeez, I don't Someone just said they hate this world. I have no idea. (laughs) All right. Let's see the fifth one. That word is girl. 15 seconds for girl. Go. Oh, it's a Beck song. Oh. Hey. My son, a girl. Hey. My son, I'm not saying it right. Um. I believe you. <laughs> Good job. Girl. So what? It's called what? It's called Girl from Beck. Girl. Oh, there you go. I saw, yeah, I saw with the black tongue tied. I like Beck. You know, he's a super artist. Yeah. Okay. Final one. Let's see what you get. So you have two out of six so far. So let's see if you can at least get three out of six. <laughs> the final one is Night. 15 seconds, go. Can I be make it Nightingale? If you can sing it. Nightingale, sing us a song of a love that once belonged. Nightingale, tell me your (laughs) My favorite song by Natalie Merchant, maybe? Okay. Love that song. So you got three out of six. That's a good score. I'm terrible at music. Okay, I'm gonna 
say a confession here, okay? Like, they say, like, your, like, music life ends in, like, your 20s. Like, you always revert back to your, like, 20s. I'm like, there's a lot of modern music that I don't know. And also, living in China, like, I was never good at Spotify. I could kind of get Pandora. You had a VPN. So I feel like I lost on, like, eight years of music, to be fair a lot of stuff out right now that I was like, what is that person saying? They're just mumbling. Like that is, that is not fun. But then I've like refallen in love with like Harry Styles. Like I think he's so fun. Oh, no, not Harry. I don't like Harry. Oh, I just, there's some stuff about him that I just really enjoy. And then there's other stuff. I'm like, if I have to listen to that Selena Gomez, like calm down song, I'm going to punch somebody in the face. That's fair. That's the worst song ever. So oh, like, <laughs> Um, I feel like I'm stuck in like '90s music, and I'm I'm like I've lost. And I think because I'm not working with you guys, you know, when you work with a younger generation, you adapt and you listen to their music when they're coming in the teen center or when during camp training. Mm -hmm. Dude, I miss you guys so badly because I don't know any new music at all. I I love music, so I stay on top of it pretty every every Friday. That's like my ritual. It's like, oh no, Thursday at midnight. I'm like, all right, what songs came out? So like, I start like downloading it, and then I'm like, yes, new music. So I was so good at it. So I will take any kind of lessons on how to properly use Spotify and learn about new music because I miss it. Like being in in China, um, there's a lot of live music that doesn't come. Partly because they have to get a visa. So if they've said anything negative, oh. their visas will be canceled. So I saw two artists while I was there. Katy Perry came at one point, but I didn't see him. I saw Metallica, go figure. Yeah. Really? In Shanghai, that was fun. That's and then cool. um, I saw an artist who did an acoustic show, and I can't think of his name. Damien Rice came in. So okay. I miss live music, you know, like. Really? I love going to concerts. I used to love going to outside lands, spending the entire three days just soaking in all the diversity of music. Like I love all that. I'm at a loss. And now I live in redneck country. You're a cowgirl now. (laughs) There's not even good radio stations up here. So like I'm relearning how to stream like Odyssey and um, I'm going to, I do have my Spotify on my phone and just taking the time to just listen and appreciate new music. And for me, to be honest, like I had a lot of heartbreak while I was gone. Like we lost Prince when I was gone. Um, oh, yeah. We lost uh, like the Foo Fighters. Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighter really like got me in the gut because my Taylor's named after him, you know? Like oh, no. I love the Foo Fighters. So there was a lot of like kind of loss being gone of like oh, I'm not gonna be able to see that artist. Yeah. Oh no, you know, like yeah. I didn't get to go see Elton John before yeah. he's officially retired. There, I, I never got to go see um even like uh I wanted to go see uh Fleetwood Mac one more time. You know? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm kind of like mourning like this music that I love for so long and then also knowing like there's a giant hole in my life of like I know no artist. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's hard. I love music, but I, I think being back, you'll be able to get back into it. I'm not a Spotify user, but um, I know they have like use Apple Music, and so I usually go on like this this Twitter that's called like Pop Craze, and it puts like all the modern like pop artist music out, and so I go download that, and then I go into like the New Music Daily um, 
playlist and it like has like all the new music. And I think Spotify does something like that too. I just people I don't told me know. just to do Apple Music, and then I was like, "Well, it still makes me mad that I bought all this, downloaded all this music, and it's not mine. That it goes away. Like all these downloads, I spent all this money for. I should own that. No, I don't own. That. You should. Yeah, I don't download any music because I don't have to pay for it. My my brother pays for the m- account monthly, and so we all just kind of can like listen to music and like it never goes away. I need to do the Apple Music. Yes, that nephew of yours. Yes, I love it. He's so precious. So freaking precious. Super cute. I knew he was going to be cute. Those two were too cute. Of course, they were going to be pretty cute. But there goes, like, sometimes they'll make, like, people make, like, ugly babies. Like, there are ugly babies out there. Just putting that out there. That is true. Unfortunately, there are. But hey, Stacey, it's been such a pleasure having you, and I could talk to you for days. But we, people probably are like, "All right, y'all." Before you go, I'm going to share this one nugget with you because I know yes. you love because it's a celebrity. Nick Cannon, you know, he's got like a million kids, right? A million and one, apparently. Guess what? I've actually met one of his kids, and I actually met one of the baby mamas. I didn't yeah. even know it till today. Where at? Right here in my small town. Yes. Was she passing through, or was she living there? From here. Really. Nicest girl ever. Nicest girl ever. I had no idea. And yesterday, I cooed at the baby, and then the grandma made a few more comments, and I was like, "What on earth is she talking about?" So I just happened to look up, like Nick Cannon, the baby mamas and babies, and I was like, "Holy moly!" Yeah. Wow. So anyway, wow, that's crazy. Are these baby mamas? And I was like, oh my god, the nicest girl on earth, actually, with a really nice family, with really wow. cute kids. Never oh, made a connection. Huh. That That's wild. We had um in Very summer camp, we had uh we had a, a daughter of a rapper in our camp, and um that was pretty cool. In Birmingham? Yeah. yeah. She was the daughter of E40. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have baseball players and everything like that, but we never like we just never know. But anyway, I just thought I would drop that on you today. Yeah. Like I met a Cannon baby mama. Like that that you better hang out with her and be like, hey. And baby. Yeah, that's gold. Super cute. Anyway, cool. I love you very much. Thanks I for having you. me on. Yes. Listeners. It's been a pleasure having Stacy on. I definitely look forward to having you listen to future episodes. Uh, if you like this, go on uh, Apple Music, Spotify, like, rate, subscribe, share, tell everyone in your family to go listen to this. Also, uh, you can email us at itsgivingwhatif at gmail.com. If you want to donate a coffee to us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash itsgivingwhatif. And if you want to leave us a voicemail or ask for advice, you can go to www.speakpipe.com slash it's giving what if. From us to you, I hope you all have a great night or day or evening, morning, whatever y'all are having. Have a great one. Thanks. Thank you. It's giving what if.